Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about uh, the origin of hate and uh, try to just locate it um, based on a Torah of uh, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazingly deep insight into human nature and then gives us a guide to alternatives and, and what we can do about it. And I think it's especially important to, to understand sort of like the, the psycho-spiritual dynamics of hate, especially at this time of year, because we know that the, the primary reason that we're in the exile still is because of causeless hatred, because we're hating each other for no reason. So the more we can get a handle on this sort of emotion, uh, the, the, the better off we're going to be. So, so let's just go right, right, right for it. So, so I learned from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rebbe Nachman that uh, a person um, begins to hate when they make a mistake. And that's, that's very, very, very deep. The idea is that um, when a person makes a mistake, they're angry at themselves. And, you know, if you're not sort of like on top of yourself and on top of your emotions and things like that, you feel this sort of dissonance within yourself. And then, again, if you're not on top of it, you project that anger onto another person. And so, so it becomes a cause and effect where a person makes a mistake and then, and then they begin to hate because a person can't face that, that, that level of dissonance within themselves. And a lot of times it's, 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 in fact, I would say probably the great majority of the time, that process that I just described is not a conscious choice or a conscious process. It just kind of happens. Um, so, so let's keep that dynamic uh, in mind. And we're going to talk about how to, how to deal with that. And, and, and God willing, a, a more positive way to, to channel all of that, but we have to take a few steps back. So in in um, in Parsha's Masse, we we talk about the, the the travels of the Jewish people from Egypt to Israel, and there's just volumes and volumes and volumes of Torah on on, on the travels themselves. And I know I've I've talked about it, you know, many times, but. Just to give you just a, a very quick summary, an overview of it, there were 42 stops from Egypt to Israel. And remember, the idea of going from Egypt to Israel, it wasn't just a, a, a one-time historical event. That is a microcosm of basically our entire path from exile to redemption. Because Egypt is the heart of exile, and Israel represents redemption, right? So it's talking about the whole history of the world right there. And there are 42 stops. And there are zillions of 42s in the Torah. Like, it's just amazing how many 42s there are. They're all over the place, okay? Um, just again, just to throw out just a couple, just so you know what I'm talking about. 
the very first paragraph of the Shmona Esrei, um, ending with Magen Avraham, that paragraph has 42 words. Um, the, the, the first paragraph of Shema, Yahavta, has 42 words. Right? Um, if you spell out 42 in Gematria, it's Bez Mem. <clears throat> and if you look in the prayer for Hanukkah and Purim, the, the thing that we add to um, the Shemona Esrei, it says, B'mei Mordechai, Bez Mem, B'mei Mordechai, in the, in the times of Mordechai. Um, and by Hanukkah, it says, B'mei Matis Yahu, in the days of Matis Yahu. So you have, and, and 42 is also one of the great, getting more into a Kabbalistic level, one of the great names of Hashem, the 42-letter name of Hashem, which is like a, 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 a miracle, you know, type of uh, access point. So 42 is, and I'm, I'm just touching the surface of, of the 42s, right? There were also 42 cities that were given o- over to the Levium. I mean, it's like, and in fact, how can we say that and not complete the thought? There were also six cities of refuge. So you had six cities of refuge, and then 42 cities given over to the Levium, and all of those were cities of refuge, okay? But it's divided up, six and 42. Now, the Tefer Shlomo, the Radomska Rebbe, points out something, just a classic Torah, which is if you look at the Shema, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that's six words like the six cities of refuge. Then if you go to Fiyahavta and get to the end of that paragraph, that's 42 words. Those are the other 42 cities of refuge. So the Radomska Rebbe says that if you want to run to God, right? If you, if you want safety, like if you're in trouble, run to God, right? Say the Shema. And we know in the Gemara it says that if you, if you all of a sudden get like freaked out for no reason, you don't know why, say the Shema. Because it says that your mazel is sensing some sort of danger. So, so here you see like the whole 6 and 42 in terms of those cities of refuge perfectly mirrors the Shema and Viahavta. Anyway, back to the travels. So just in case this feels very abstract and sort of like academic, oh, this is whatever it is, the Baal Shem Tov makes it super personal and says that every single person has 42 stops in their own life. Right? And I was thinking about that, and this is just my own shot, my own explanation, but I was thinking because not every person travels to 42, like moves 42 times or something like that. So how would you understand the 42 travels? So it seems to me, and this is just me talking, that maybe those 42 travels also refer to spiritual levels that a person goes to over the course of their lifetime, in addition to geographical places, in addition to relationships. You know, when you go to a relationship, that's very much of a destination, you know? So it seems to me, and again, this is just me talking, that within those categories of your ups and downs in terms of one's spirituality, and your actual travels geographically, and your actual relationship points, and perhaps even jobs could be included in there, Probably it comes to 42 for each person. Is this what the Baal Shem Tov had in mind exactly? I don't know. But he did say every single person has 42 stops as well. Okay. So now, the mayor of Hashemish, and I just, uh, just because 
I just started learning this Sefer, and uh, so I just want to introduce the Sefer before we get to it. And we're, we haven't lost the subject, which is trying to figure out what we can do with the emotion of hate when we experience it. So we're still, we're still getting back to that. We haven't forgotten, just so you know. So I just want to tell you just a little bit about the mayor of Hashemish. He was one of the, uh, the greatest of the Hasidic masters. And he was, um, the, I, I saw written, the top student of the Noam Elimelech. The, the Rebbe Noam of Lezhensk, you know, so he, the, you know, the Noam Elimelech to this day is <clears throat> absolutely one of the, the critical Hasidic masters in all of history. So you can imagine, like, what it would be like to be his top student. You know who his students were? Like, they included the Chos of Lublin, right? And I saw even written in one account that the Noam Elimelech asked the mayor of Hashemesh to be, to succeed him as Rebbe. This is amazing. This is amazing. Just in case you don't know the name, you, you have to realize how his greatness, you know? Um, he was very close with the, the Chos of Lublin and, and with the Rimenover Rebbe as well. And, um, and he, he wrote this, like, this, this classic book of Hasidus. So, you know... Like, last Shabbos, I decided, I give a little talk before Shacharis, I decided, okay, I found something from the mayor of Hashemish, and it really spoke to me, and I thought, okay, I really want to give this over. So I went to, I went to shul, and, and, you know, it's a small crowd for Shabbos morning, but every once in a while, you never know who's going to show up. So this couple from Israel just happened to be there. They're never there, just happened to be there. And in all of my time of teaching, I never began a talk, ever, by sitting down and saying, okay, this morning we're going to learn from the mayor of Hashemesh. So I said that, and the guy who was from Israel said, I'm a direct descendant and I'm named after him. <laughs> right? So, so... Then the next day, this was Parshas Pinchas. This was Parshas Pinchas. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find out more about the mayor of Hashemesh. I gotta, I gotta. So I, I go online. I put in his name. I go online. I see there are a bunch of links. I pick one link. This is remember, this is Parshas Pinchas, and it's in an article, just like about something else. But they quote the mayor of Hashemesh, and so I scroll down till I get to the line. And there's one, one to like a two-line quote from him, and then in parentheses it says, Parshas Pinchas. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> you know? Then, I'm learning this um, with someone, and uh, I don't mention it to, to him, these stories. And so day two, day two of learning... The, this new safer together, he says to me, I had a miracle today. I said, what was it? He said, I walk, he's in Miami right now, he said, I walked into a base medrash, like a, you know, a Torah study hall, and I asked a guy a question. I needed to get a, 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 a difficult Yiddish word translated for me. So I walked up to him and I asked him, do you know the translation of this word? And he says back to me, do you know where the mayor of Hashemish is? 
and he was holding a copy in his hand. He said, yeah, here. <laughs> right? So, so I was saying over now, that's, then this Shabbos, so this is now the second Shabbos, I'm saying over something from the Mayor of Shemesh, what approximately what I'm going to tell you now. And there's someone else from Israel there. He just shows up. He hasn't been there, I don't know since when. And I'm, I know him. I'm talking with him afterwards. I ask him about the Mayor of Shemesh. He goes, oh, you know, it's really strange. Someone just yesterday said, can we learn the Mayor of Shemesh together? <laughs> I said, that was yesterday? He goes, yeah, I think... Yeah, last night. So, as Rip Shlomo would say, what do we know? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we know? What do we know? So, the mayor of Ishamish asks a question on the beginning of this week's Parsha. It says, when we left Israel, we left according to our um, tzivosam. That's how you say it in Hebrew. It's translated as, as legions or your, your, the groups, things like this. So, so it's, it's, he, he has like, a, like a, a pshat question, like just like a very logical question, which is that we didn't divide up, as you know, as when we walk through the, when we march through the desert, we had different encampments, right? You had the, the Arna Kodesh with the, with the Ten Commandments in the middle, surrounded by the Kahanim and the Levium, and then you had, on four different sides, you had three tribes, right? Led by Yehuda, and then we're marching through the desert, okay? And that's, that was our formation. Um, the thing is, though, and, and I just want to add one more thing. We, we also had these amazing flags. Each tribe had a colorful banner. That was like a different set of colors with a different set of symbols on it and everything like this. And just, I just want to pause for a moment. It, it, it's a point that I always think is very important to make, which is that every different tribe had a different personality and a different set of colors. And that, that, that's so important because there's a, a, a great misperception and it's a it's it's and it, it's a it's a misperception that often borders on slander against Torah, um, which is that the, the the goal of this path is to um, homogenize uh, people and to God forbid strip them of their individuality and of their personality, and it's it's absolutely a slander. It's absolutely not true. It's just simply not true. And I think that this is a very beautiful example of it, how each tribe had a different banner, a different flag, and a different, a different set of colors, you know? Um, but what I, the reason why I'm bringing it up, actually, is for a different reason. It, it's because um, the banners had letters on them, okay? And what they spelled out were the name of the patriarchs which is Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, right? So, again, what's beautiful about that is at the moment that we're sort of asserting 
our individuality by showing up our flag. This is my flag, not your flag. This is my tribe, not your tribe. My family, not your family, right? At the very same time, the flags are all saying Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, right? In other words, at this, uh, you know, declaring our, our, our common ancestry, right? But that's still not why I'm bringing it up. Here's why I'm bringing it up, because it spells out Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in a super cool way. Which is, which is, like, to give you an example, it says that, uh, that, let's see, let me just grab it here. It says, the first of the four banners, this is from the Hizkuni, the first of the four banners bore the letters Aleph, Yud, Yud. And then the second banner, Beis, Sadi, Ayin. And then the third banner, Reish Ches Kuf. So you're saying, wait a second, I thought you said that the banner spelled out Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. Like, what's going on? This is like a mishmash of, of letters. I, I, I can't read this. So listen to the genius of this. It spelled it out, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, on alternating flags. <laughs> In other words, the first letter of Avraham's name and the first letter of Yitzchak's name and the first letter of Yaakov's name was on the first flag. Then the second letter of Abraham's name, Yitzchak's name and Yaakov's name was on the second flag. So in other words, if you wanted to have a sense of coherence of what you were reading, you had to look at the entire totality. So at the very moment that individuality was being asserted, you also you also were being told a very important lesson from the banners, which is that you can't begin to understand any of us unless you look at us all together as one. I think that's special. I think that's really special. Right? You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, something, and this was probably more for, for you guys in the room right now, but, but it's, it's sort of like... Uh, something that's a concern of mine for our community here, especially in the Pico-Robertson area, which is that I don't want us to be a victim of our own success. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The, the neighborhood, thank God, is like flourishing. It's absolutely flourishing, you know? There's so much vibrancy. There's so many shuls. There's so many restaurants. There's so many social activities. There's so many teachers. There's so much friendliness. There's so much intermixing between communities. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So what do I mean that we shouldn't become a victim of our own success? What I mean is, is that as the shuls grow, and if you look around, all you have to do is open up your eyes. This place is getting a new building. That place is getting a new building. This place just finished a new building. That place just finished a new building. You see it all over the place. That's, this is very unusual. You're seeing a renaissance and a blossoming happening right in front of your eyes right now. So what's the concern then? You say, well, wait, this all sounds great. Like, <laughs> where's the danger? The danger is that each of the communities can become so successful that they become independent and they don't feel as though they have to deal with the other people from the other communities. You know, I'll tell you, one of the beautiful things that's done in the community is on fast days, they have a central shul and they say, okay, the mincha for this 
um, fast day is going to be at B'nai David this week, or it's going to be at Beth Jacob, or it's going to be at Young Israel. And so people who almost never go to those places, right, they go so that the community should be together. I talked to a rabbi who was a new rabbi in one of the shuls, this is a little while ago, and I said, I think that's so important because I think that that little practice is a big safeguard against what I was talking about. And he said, oh, you know, I was going to do away with that. He said, I didn't think that was necessary. It just seemed like this little thing off to the side. He said, but now that you're making such a point of it, I'll make sure that we, we, we keep it going. But, and this is a wonderful rabbi. He's a wonderful, loving, community-oriented, great rabbi who, who said this. But, but this is the, the beginning of the, the danger when you feel as though, okay, my group is, 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 is essentially independent. Once you get to that place, all sorts of danger begins. Because then you start to view other people as the other. Right? So, so anyway, um, just keep that in the back of your mind. That the, the more that, that, that communities can continue to mix together, the, the, the stronger the entire thing will be. Okay? So now let's go back to the mayor of Ishemish. So he points out something, again, it's a, just a very logical point. He's very Kabbalistic, but he, right now we're just dealing super pshat, okay? He points out the fact that when we left Egypt, it says we left according to, you know, tzivosam, which, which means like legions, like groups, okay? Um, but we didn't have our banners yet. We didn't have our flags yet. So how could we have left in organized groups when we didn't, at that point in history, have our groups organized yet? Very simple question. Very simple question. Okay. But then he says something super deep about it. He says that, you know, when we say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzfakot, that, that, that name is, is the same name of how we left. Um, uh, it's, and, but now it's talking about how angels... When, when angels manifest, like by the giving of the Torah or even over the encampment of the Jews in, in the desert, in many, many places you see it. It's like when we, when we look at, when we study astronomy, we talk about clus- clusters of stars. And you've got clusters of angels. And, and like the old English that will refer to it, like, like if you look in a, uh, a prayer book, it will say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What does that mean, the Lord of hosts? Hosts are clusters of angels, basically. They're, they're, they're groupings of angels, okay? So, and, and it uses this word, tzva'ot, okay? And it says that when we left, we left, and it uses the same word, tzva'otsam. It's the same word. It's just a different grammatical form of it, Okay? So, so the mayor of Hashemesh now says something really awesome. He says that since it can't be referring to the fact that we left in organized groups like banners, since that hadn't happened yet, so what is, how did we leave then? And he said, it's, we left like angels. Okay, so now what does that mean, we left like angels? All right, so, so because he's going to say that we were even higher than angels. All right, now again, we haven't lost track of the initial discussion, which is how to deal with hate. <laughs> okay, just so you know. But now we're getting closer to the point. Um, 
You see, angels are basically, they're super high. And they're sort of like vibrating and they're holding the same spot in heaven. Okay? And they're manifesting, exuding yira and ava, love and awe at like the highest level. But it's steady state. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. Now that's pretty amazing. Can you imagine being at your best for your entire life? Like, that, that would be pretty awesome. Like, what would you be able to accomplish if you were at your best every single moment for the entirety of your life? That would be great. That's angels, okay? But the, the sort of like the, 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 the amazing thing about human beings, says the Mayor Vashemesh, Listen to how he's putting it, because this is, this is really see the beauty of Hasidus here, you know? He says, is that we make mistakes, because when we make mistakes and we go down, then we long to go up. And that desire to want to get closer to God, to want to go higher, and then the ability to even go higher from having gone lower, is something that the angels are not capable of doing. And that God loves that more than anything in the entire world. The desire to go even higher and then the ability to rise. But that only happens after a mistake. Now you can say, you can be at a high level and go, I want to go even higher. And that would be great too. That that would certainly fall into this category. And again, angels wouldn't be able to do that. But, But to make a mistake to go down and then to say, ah, I want to go up and then to go up. This is unbelievable. You know, by the way, it's appropriate to mention that Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, says, who is a tzaddik? Like, what's the definition of a tzaddik? So, so if you ask me, I would say, someone who never makes a mistake. And, but Shlomo Melech knows more than me, obviously. Listen to what his definition is. A tzaddik is someone who falls down seven times and gets back up. So in other words, the definition of tzitkis, of, of righteousness, of holiness, really, according to Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, is that ability to constantly get back up and to rededicate yourself. And again, the mayor of Hashemesh says, when a person manifests that, they're higher than angels. Okay, now we can put together the beginning thought and where we're at now. Now we've done the homework for this, Okay. So, so again, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says, when does a person begin to hate? After they make a mistake. Why? Because they have an anger at themselves and they don't know what to do with it and they project it out on other people. Okay? So now, let's, let's make a new plan. Okay? There's an alternative to projecting back the anger out on other people. Let's say I make a mistake. Do you know what I have the opportunity to do at that point after I make a mistake? I can feel good that I feel bad. I can feel good about the fact that I feel bad. Because the fa- I can feel good about the fact that I feel bad. See, because if I feel bad after I do something wrong, 
That's my soul telling me, that's me telling me that I'm capable of so much more. That I want to be so much closer to God. And that I can do better. That's awesome. That's literally the definition of being higher than the angels at that point. So at the moment that I make a mistake, I can feel good about the fact that I feel bad. And then at that point, I'm not projecting my anger out on other people. I'm not increasing the amount of hate in the world. Right? What I'm doing is I'm harnessing that emotion in order to use it to lift me to a higher place. So, so we, uh, we heard a story yesterday that I love so much. So it was off this point. He said, uh, uh, he told this story, Hillel um, was visiting from Israel. He told the following story. He said that it was late at night and he was in Yerushalayim and he's going to the Kotel with, um, with a friend who had just gotten off the plane. And they see, they're walking toward the Kotel. They see there's a, a guy who's begging for money and they can see it's, it's like so clear the guy's a drug addict. Not only is the guy the, a drug addict, but it's so clear that he's going to use whatever money they're going to give him to buy more drugs, right? But still, it's like they're going to the Kotel, you know what I mean? So, and, and this person just arrived in Israel. So they, they, they want to give tzedakah. So, so he was saying that he had like a, I don't know what the exact bill was, but he had a very large bill in his pocket, one very large bill. And he's not going to take that out, right? It just was not appropriate at all for this situation, right? And his friend who just got in from the airport had a credit card and that was it. So neither of them had any money to, to give for tzedakah at that moment. And, and his friend is like, oh, I just got into Israel. I'm going to the Kotel right now. This person needs some money. I don't have any money to give him. I feel so horrible. I feel, I feel terrible. I feel terrible. So, so he was saying how holy the beggars of Jerusalem are. Right? By the way, you know, the early followers of Reb Shlomo were called holy beggars. That's what they, that's what, that's the name that they were given. And someone asked Reb Shlomo one time, why are your chassidim, why, why are they called holy beggars? He said, Reb Shlomo said, because they're begging to give. Right? That's, that's an awesome tar, right? Like a beggar, right, usually is begging to receive, right? He says, they're begging to give. So, anyway, so, so this person hears them talking about how bad they feel that they're not able to help out and to give money. And so what does this guy do? The, the person who was collecting money, what does he do? He comes up to them and he says, look, here's 20 shekels. I'm giving it to you as a gift. You can give it back to me. <laughs> so that you should be able to do the mitzvah of tzedakah. Can you imagine? The person who was collecting money overhears how bad they feel that they can't give him money. So he takes out 20 shekels from his pocket, gives it to them as a gift, and then says, now you can give it back to me. 
so that you can do the mitzvah. This is, this is awesome. This is awesome. By the way, you should know, it says this in the Gemara. This is the Gemara speaking. That the person collecting money gets more reward than the person giving money. You would say, how is that possible? In a million years, how is that possible? That I'm giving you a check for $100 and you get more reward than I do? And, and the answer is, is because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been able to do the mitzvah. You know, I don't know if any of you have had this experience. I had this experience one time. There was a time where I went to a restaurant in the neighborhood and I was getting a takeout thing because I had to run back to the office and they threw in uh, rolls and I wasn't going to eat the rolls. So I was like, well, you know, have the rolls. What am I going to do with the rolls? You know, once a restaurant, for the most part, I mean, this is the law. Once they give you food, they can't take it back because that's just unhygienic, I guess. So I'm like, well, they're not going to take back the rolls. What, what am I going to do with the rolls? Of course, I was very happy. I'm going to look for someone who, who needs some food, someone who's sitting on the street, whatever it is. I can tell you, you know what it's like to want to give tzedakah and there's no one to give tzedakah to? I looked around. I couldn't find anyone who was like sitting around. Like normally speaking, over here on this corner, there's always someone. On that corner, there's someone. There was no one. I got in my car. I'm driving around. So when you, if, if you've ever been in that situation, or if you can imagine being in that situation, you understand that without someone to receive you, you literally can't even do the mitzvah. So now all the time, ah, the Gemara makes a lot of sense that that person should receive more reward. Plus, look at what they're going through. Like this, the circumstances of their life are probably so painful. So they have to suffer really to be able to create an opportunity for other people to give. So it's not so simple that it's sort of like, oh, they got $100. Oh, yeah, you gave them a dollar on the street. Oh, yeah, now they're a millionaire. You fixed their whole life. Congratulations. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, it's not like their life instantly changes with the quarter you gave them. You know what I'm saying? So they're really earning. They're really earning that schar, that heavenly reward, in a, in a very serious way, you know? Um, okay. So... So let's just, let's, just, let's just wrap it up. The only way you're going to be able to implement what I'm talking about is if you are actually taking your action seriously. You know, there, there's something called cheshpun and nefesh, which is really, you know, the truth is I don't really do it formally. I, I, I really should and, and I want to, is the truth. I really do want to. But cheshvan and nefesh is before you go to bed, before you can, you can, you can do it while you're lying on your pillow at night. You can have already have said shema and hamapil, all the rest. You just go over your day. From the morning till this moment, who did I talk to? Who did I interact with? And everything like that. And if you, if you do that, you will remember all sorts of things. All sorts of things that just fly out of your consciousness. You'll remember, you know something? Oh, I owe that guy a call. You know what? I borrowed five bucks from that guy, you know, for lunch. You know what? This one over here, I, I was sort of, you know, I was in a hurry. I was probably kind of rude because I had to get someplace. And maybe I'll just check back with them. If a person begins to do that, 
then all of a sudden they're on top of their life. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because this idea that when you make a mistake, you begin to hate, it's a very subtle, shadowy process. It just, you know, sometimes it's a big mistake, like, oh, wow, I'm not going to forget that easily, right? And, and okay, so that probably you don't have to do cheshben and nefesh for. But I remember Reb Shlomo said one time, he was talking about um, cleaning for Pesach. And, you know, one of the things that we do when we clean for Pesach, remember, the breadcrumbs represent ego, the chametz, it represents the Yetzirah, the, the negative side. You know, you're lighting a candle, and one of the things that you do when you, when you search the house is you always have to check the corners of the room. That's just part of the, part of the way you do it. You check the corners. And I remember that Reb Shlomo said one time that a lot of times what causes fights between people, he says it's a few crumbs in your heart. You know? And that, that type of mistake, that type of mistake, that kind of just kind of creeps into the fabric of your life. And then the negativity that, that results from that just kind of like becomes a very natural thing. And what we're trying to do is, is uproot that process. Right? And again, the greatest way to counter... The, the greatest way to counter that, that negativity that you feel in yourself after you have a spiritual fall if you do feel bad is to feel good that you feel bad it sounds sort of counterintuitive but it's like um, you see you see there's a there's a there's a Torah that's quoted all the time but they don't quote the entire Torah on it. And, um, and so people don't realize how deep this teaching is. So the Torah, you, you've all heard it. You've all heard it a million times. That a person, they say it in the name of the Katska Rebbe, that a person should carry two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. One says that I'm nothing but dust and ashes. That's for one pocket. And the other is that... Um, the entire world was created for me. That's in the other pocket, right? So, so that's, that's usually what's said over, but there's, there, that's only 50% of that thought. The rest of that Torah goes like this. And a person has to know when to pull out each one of the things. Let me explain to you what that means. Let's say someone insults me, right? And let's say at that moment, really what I should be is very humble. I should go, okay, I'm not the greatest thing in the world. And I just sort of accept the insult and I allow myself to be humbled by it and that's what it is. But let's say at that moment when I'm insulted and I should be humbled by it, I take out the paper, the entire world was made for me. Then it's sort of like, 
Who is he to insult me? <laughs> Does he know who I am? You see, it's, it, it's not so simple just to say, okay, I'm dust and ashes, and on the other hand, the whole world was made for me. You have to know when to pull out which piece of paper. That's a whole nother quantum level of introspection and self-knowledge. So what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is that if you make a mistake, if you do an Avera, if you mess up in a big way, that's the moment when you absolutely have to pull out the piece of paper the entire world was made for me. Because that's the moment when you absolutely need to be built up and then, then you'll have the strength to do the right thing. Because if you say... I'm nothing but dust and ashes. In other words, I did something wrong, and you know what? Deep down, I'm also worthless. There is no end to how far down you're going to fall. So if a person makes a mistake, or if someone comes to you and says, I did this, that, or the other thing, the thing that they absolutely might need more than any medicine in the entire world at that point is to be built up and to be told how precious and valuable they are. Okay? So, I'll just, uh, I'll just throw one more thing in. I, I work in animation right now. It's kind of just kind of what I've been doing these days. And, and I can tell you something, which is that it, it's very labor-intensive. And if you, if you know all the process of animation, it's sort of like you start off with still frame drawings and then you kind of um, throw in what they call in-betweens, right? Which are sort of like, okay, so if someone is um, running down a football field, right? So, so maybe they'll be in a running position, but then the next shot will be them scoring the touchdown. You won't see them running the entire way, so it's very, very choppy. But they'll put together these, these, these together, and they'll play them all at once like a film. That's called an animatic. It's in black and white, and it's very, very, very choppy. Okay? Then you have to start to fill it in some more. Then you get it animated, and you'll see that things are missing and everything like that. And so, so you have to work and work and work and work until it looks absolutely perfect, like, like there are no problems, like it looks normal. Now, here's the point that I'm trying to make. When people see it, they have no idea how much work went into it. <laughs> or let me put it another way. You have no idea how much work goes into something in order to make it look like no work went into it at all. <laughs> because if you're not asking any questions, I'm sure the same thing is with editing as well. If you're not asking any questions, then that's the ideal. Right? But people don't realize how much work goes into making it look like no work went into it at all. Like it was just sort of born that way. Are you crazy? You know how much work went into it? You know, I'll give you another example. One of my favorite things to do 
it, it just, I don't know, I just love to do it, especially walking on Shabbos in the neighborhood, is walking by construction projects and watching over time, months and months and months, a building go up. Bless you. Watching a building go up. And every week I'll walk by and I'll kind of take a look. I'll say, what's new? You know? But what's intriguing to me is that at a certain point, all the scaffolding goes down, the landscaping goes in, and it looks like that building was always there. <laughs> like you walk by it, you have no idea how much work and how much time it took to make it look like that. Okay, so obviously I'm talking about you and me. Reb Shlomo said, one of my favorite Torahs of all time, he says, do you know what a grape has to go through to become wine? Do you know how much it has to be stepped on? Right? And crushed? He says, everybody loves a finished product. Everybody loves you when you're a grape and everyone loves you when you're wine. But who loves you when you're in between? He says, those are your real friends. So... So the thing is, is that hopefully, the, the reality is, is that we're always in between. Because hopefully we're never stopping to grow. Okay? And so if I understand that I'm an, a work in progress, then when I look at you, you're just like me. Right? doesn't matter, like, like the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, it doesn't matter where you're holding so much. The only question is, are you going up or down and how fast? It's an amazing Torah. Say it again. It doesn't matter where you're holding. The question is, are you going up or are you going down and how fast? Right? So if I understand that I'm a work in progress, you're a work in progress, we're all works in progress, then you're stripping away so many layers of hatred and judgment from the world. Because we're all, we're all in the same place. doesn't matter what you look like or what I look like. We're all in the same place. And when, bless you, when we can get to that and really understand it and really live it and really, really realize it, then this will be the gula. Because then all the hatred is going to disappear from the world. Because we're going to understand that we're all brothers and sisters and we're all one.